0: Good morning, beloved. Welcome to Maple Crest Church. Today we're talking about the kingship of Jesus um, and firstborn from the dead. Uh, we're going through um, the book of Revelation, not in any particular order, um, but we are going through it and talking about it because I feel like God is wanting to reveal himself in his full glory and who he's going to be. And not um, and because I think that 's where we 're going, and uh, so we 've been jumping around a little bit last time we talked about giving out of the book of Revelation, and the king 's kind of elders casting down their crowns, and giving giving is going to be with us forever and that was a really powerful morning just to talk about that, and, and uh, so you can find that online if you missed it. Um, we can 't expect Jesus to return. In the same identity that he left in. Jesus is like so multifaceted. He's got so many parts of himself. And we want to know what he's going to look like when he comes the next time. The first time he came, people missed him. And they tried to kill him. And they did in the end. And I don't want to be one of those people who's deceived, who doesn't see him in his glory when he comes back. So, in the beginning of the book of Revelation, there's all of these descriptions of Jesus. And we already went over the faithful witness, how he's going to be this faithful witness to the glory of God and a faithful witness to who we are when we stand before him. Um, And so we're going to be speaking out of Revelation 1, 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and and the ruler of kings on the earth. So we're going to talk about both of those. Firstborn of the dead, ruler of kings on earth. So you can turn to Revelation 1.5. And if you want to stick your finger in Colossians 1.15, that's going to be another verse. Colossians 1.15. We're going to jump around a little bit too. So Father, I just pray that you would help us to understand you in your full glory. And how you're going to come to us in the future. And how you will reveal yourself so that we're not deceived. Lord, we want to understand you on your terms. We want to understand you how you describe yourself. Please give us wisdom and revelation to hear hear what you have for us this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Firstborn from the dead. So, firstborn from the dead can kind of sound like Jesus was created, and he's not. So that's the first thing I just want to say quickly. Jesus was not a created being. Um, He manifested himself as a human being when he came, but he was always there. He's always been there. In Colossians 1.15 it says... He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So again, there's that reference, the firstborn of all creation. This is Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, so it says he's the firstborn, sounds like he's created, but then right away it says, for by him all things were created. So he's not created. We're talking about something else when we say firstborn. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rules or authorities—sorry, rulers or authorities—all things were created through him and for him. Things were created for him, and he is before all things. He's the first one. That's me now saying this—the first one. And in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in everything that, sorry, that, in everything he might be preeminent. So firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In him all the the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. So he is firstborn of creation. He's the firstborn of the dead. And it's kind of referencing how this is because, it's this is referring to him being preeminent, which links itself with Revelation 1.5, how it says he's the firstborn from the dead and then it right away says he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's not a king, he's the king of kings. He's ruling the kings of the earth. He's preeminent in everything. Fortunately, this verse just gives us a nice idea of what firstborn means. It means he's the beginning, it means that he is preeminent. So, what was happening in his first coming? I just want to make sure that I don't fall over here. What was happening in his first coming, there's, there were huge ramifications that are not visible in Jesus' first coming. In Jesus' first coming, he was establishing his authority. He wasn't walking in his full uh, expression of his authority. So he was st- when he first came, he was establishing himself and his identity and his position. To have dominion, Uh, But he didn't have that dominion yet. He wasn't walking in dominion at that time. God always intended to give authority to human beings. He declared that he would give all authority to people. Human beings are supposed to rule over the earth. It was established that that was the way God was going to rule over the earth, was through a human being. In Genesis 1.28, have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. Skipped a bit there, but it's like, he was saying in Revelation 1.28 to have dominion. He's talking to people. We're supposed to have this dominion. But when Adam sinned, he gave authority away. He gave it away to, to Satan. When he sinned, he gave it up. So he didn't have the authority anymore. If Satan says it in Luke 4.6. And Satan said to Jesus... To you I will give all this authority and their glory for it, is, it has been delivered to me. This is Satan speaking. It has been delivered to me. Who delivered it to Satan? It was Adam who gave it to him. And, and then Satan says, and I give it to whom I will. I have, Satan's saying, I have authority and I give it away. It's just interesting. There's like a side thing here of like what is worship? This got me thinking about worship. Like, what is worship? And it's this transference of authority. It's just this really interesting thing. By Adam being obedient to Satan, he gave Satan authority. Isn't that interesting? Just a whole thing right there. of Like, what is worship? What is obedience? It's giving authority. And spiritually, when Adam obeyed Satan... He gave authority to Satan. I just think that's really interesting. A whole other talk. So, when Jesus came, like, God's, you could kind of frame it like God's stuck. He's like stuck by his own promise. He's not really stuck, obviously, but it's, to a human being, it would look stuck. It's like, I gave all authority to people. I made this covenant that I would give authority to people, and they gave it away. Who can I trust? Who can I give this authority back to? I tried this already. When Jesus came, he was the second Adam. He was the last Adam. In 1 Corinthians 15.42 it says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, and what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. And then it goes on to say, thus it is written, in verse 45, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So what was sown is perishable, but what is raised is raised in honor and is imperishable. It's this, Jesus is raised, I mean, Seamus said like the, the firstborn, I don't know exactly the, the, the translation that you are using, Seamus, but it was like this, the firstborn of the dead is like the first raised one, right? And when Jesus was raised, he was raised imperishable, he's this life-giving spirit, he is the last Adam, and by rights. He has earned back the authority on the earth. We're going to get into that. He, he earned it back. In Daniel 7, 13, it says, I saw in the night visions, So this is Daniel speaking, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man, one like the Son of Man. It's an interesting title. Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man all the time. This is the one reference to the Son of Man in the Old Testament. So we're pretty sure that Jesus was referring to Dan- Dan- Jesus really liked Daniel's, Daniel's version. Daniel's description of him. It's like, who described me really well i 'm sure they all did because it 's in the Bible, but Daniel seven really got to something it really got to a great description of me, and i 'm going to use that title because I am the Son of man and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the son, like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, he came before God and was presented before God, and to him to the Son of Man was given dominion and glory. And a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom that shall never shall not be destroyed. His kingdom, one, that shall not be destroyed. And Jesus looked at this, I'm just thinking about this verse. Jesus looked at this and he said, this is... Such a description of me. I am the Son of Man, and I will come before the Ancient of Days. And I will receive dominion and glory, that all peoples and nations and languages should serve me. When he walks around preaching, he's like, I am the Son of Man. I am the one who will go before God and receive dominion. I am the firstborn from the dead. I am the king of kings, and I am a human being. I, I mean, it might be interesting, like, of course he's a human being, but it just makes me think, like, like, to us it's like Jesus. Well, Jesus is a human being. He's on the earth. He looks like a man, right? But I wonder how novel it must have been for Jesus to walk around as a human being. Like, imagine, like, you're just living eternity, and then you come down on the earth, and it's like, you're, like, feeling your arms, and you're just... I, I mean, I know he grew up and everything, and he was probably used to his body like we are, but he's just kind of like, I'm a son of man. It's like, to us, it's like, you're God. That's amazing. To him, it's like, you think it's amazing that I'm God? From his perspective, it's like, it's amazing that I'm human. Like, let's just think about this. We think, oh, he's God. That's crazy. And for him, it would be like, yeah, I'm God, but I'm a human being. Like, wouldn't that be kind of startling to him? Be like, I'm a son of man. (laughs) You don't get it. God's in a man. Like, yeah, God's there and I've I've done that thing. But like, I'm a son of man. Isn't that crazy that I'm a son of man? Look what I became for you. So he goes around and we think, why isn't he? I thought, why isn't he going around and preaching, I am the son of God. I think for him, it's like, I'm a son of man. It's like, that's the startling new thing for him. I'd love to get your question, Simeon. He's got his hand raised. I'll have a question and answer later. Oh. So he uses the Son of Man and so it's this idea he's going to come before God and he's going to receive this glory. In Revelation 19.16, there's this other reference. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is the King. When Jesus came the first time, he came in a stable. When he comes the next time, he's coming as firstborn of the dead. He's coming as a king. That's part of how he's coming. Now, you might have heard the saying, absolute power corrupts absolutely. How many of you heard that saying before? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Okay. So, it's this idea that power is a corrupting force. It's this decaying, corrosive force that causes people. I was a good person when I had no power. And then somebody gave me power and it took what was in me and corrupted me into something that's foreign, that's something I never was. And now I'm wicked. And it's this power's responsibility for making me this way. It's not my fault, it's the power that was given to me that made me this way. That's that idea behind that saying, and I would like to erase it from your minds because it's not true. Jesus has a different idea about power. Luke 16.10 One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. The corruption Was there before? The corruption was there all the time. Power doesn't corrupt people. Power is not a wicked force. You don't have to be afraid of power. In some sense, you don't have to be afraid of power corrupting you. You, and this is very important, because Christians will shy away from power because they feel like it's a corrupting force. And they have to be ready for it. In a sense, you do have to be ready for it, because power does do something, but it doesn't corrupt you, it doesn't change you. Jesus says it's there all the time. It was there in small things, and it was will be there in big things. Research has been done on power, and it actually lines up more, not surprisingly, with what Jesus says than with what the world is saying or or what some potential person said where absolute power corrupts absolutely, that's not what Jesus says, and it's not actually what research says. Research says something different. Research says that if you're corrupted in small things, you will be corrupted in big things. That's what research says. It's kind of an interesting one. They gave people tasks. They gave them these things to do, and some of them were fun and short, and some of them were long and boring, And when they gave people these tasks, they said, you have to delegate this to other people. You have to take some of the tasks, and you have to give away others. And they had people sit in a chair, and they had them give these things away. And the chair is important in a second. But they just sat there, and they gave the boring tasks to themselves, and the exciting tasks to others. They were giving people. And they measured their personality. And then what they found and then, then what they did was they sat them in another chair. They put them in a big chair and they gave them a big desk, like power symbols in our culture. I've got the big desk. I've got the big chair. And then what they did when they had the big desk and the big chair was they gave the boring tasks to other people and they took the nice tasks for themselves. And what they found was that the people who did this, they could predict who was doing it based on personality measures. It was just that when they were in the small chair, they hid it. But when they were in the big chair, they expressed their already existing, pre-existing personality values. It wasn't the chair that corrupted them. It was the chair that allowed them to express what was always there. So you're right. In small things, people will hide it better But in big things, it will be expressed, but it was always there. It was always in their personalities. It's like alcohol. Well, kind of. But anyway, it's like, it's a disinhibiting force. It's this force that allows people to erase their inhibitions. We have all these impulses, and we stop them. And what power does is it takes away the brakes. It allows people to express what was always in their heart. Now I'm in charge, finally. Today is the day when I get to make things the way I want to make them. And what, gets exp- what was always in their heart gets expressed. And what happens in the small things is just these little expressions of it. These micro signs. So what I say, I, I often have people who have been abused in relationships coming to me and they're like, Cyrus... How do I find, generally it's, how do I find a good man? How do I find a good man? They're always so good in the beginning. Well, it's just this thing, right? You, I, so what I say is you have to look for micro signs. You have to look for small, small signs that this, of what's in this person's heart. And it's like, but it's not a big deal. And it's like, it will be a big deal. Once you give them more authority over yourself, it will be a big deal. Once you give them a position of power in your life, what was small in their heart will become large in your life. And it will be expressed because all their inhibitions will be gone. So you look for microscience. Do they pay their taxes? Do they speed? Are they intimidating people? You look for these small things in their life. Are they interrupting you all the time? How do they hold themselves in these small things that are kind of like, okay, no. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. What does happen with much is that it gets expressed and it can create a disaster. It's very true that if you take power away from somebody, the disaster in their hearts will affect less people. So there is a case to be made for taking power away from people who have problems in their their hearts. So I'm I'm pro that. But it's not the power that's the, the problem. It's scary to give a lot of power to somebody who isn't healed. Because power amplifies. When Jesus was on the earth, he was in his little. He was in the... the the little bit of power. I mean, you might say, Jesus had a lot of power, and it's like, yeah, he was able to do things that none of us could do. Some of us might be able to do it more. He said that. But generally speaking, he was doing more than most. But for him, it was a drop in the bucket. It was tiny. And he held his role in this small things so faithfully. When he was saying, you have to be faithful in small things, he was also referring to himself. He came here in a small way. One man with 12 disciples. He was doing small amounts of things. And he was faithful in those small things. Revelation is Jesus amplified with a microphone. The Gospels are Jesus' in a quiet voice. Revelation is Jesus as a ruler with ultimate authority, walking out his destiny as a king of kings, which is why you can see Jesus in both, and it says the same thing. But if you look at Revelation, it's like almost too loud and people close the book. It's like, whoa, that's a lot of Jesus. It's like a lot of Jesus. It's without a limiter. It's like, it's too loud. It's too much. But when Jesus is in Revelation, he is walking in his fullness. He's like, I have been given authority. I didn't get it from Satan in Luke, in the book of Luke. I got it from God. I stood before the Ancient of Days and he gave me dominion. Let's read about it in Revelation 5.1. Revelation 5.1 is Jesus in Daniel 7. It's him walking it out. That's my belief. It doesn't say Daniel 7 in Revelation 5, but I believe that. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll... So God is there, he's the Ancient of Days, standing, or sitting, anyway, in his, he's seated, yes, he's sitting. And he's seated, seated on the throne, he has a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Nobody can have it, it's his, it's God's. It's his to give away. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? We gave this to Adam. But he wasn't worthy. Who is worthy now to take this? We need a human. God said he would only give this to a human being. Who is worthy to open the scrolls and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to come to open up the scrolls and look into it. And I began to weep loudly. It's such a sad thing that nobody has been able to do this. I began to weep loudly Because Noah was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. And he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So there is Jesus. Don't worry, Jesus came. Lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. There's like so much here. It's like, Lord, open it up. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. So then you see Jesus, right? The root of. Oh, it's like this. And, and he's pictured in his. as a slain lamb. And you know why I think he's pictured as a slain lamb? I think he's saying, I. He's like standing with his key, so to speak. It's like, I have rights to this scroll. You know why I have rights? You know what I had to go through? He's not saying this, but it's like you could see a person saying, you know what I had to go through to get this scroll? I'm going to show you what I had to go through to get this scroll. I had to become a son of man. I had to be faithful in a way that no human being has been faithful before. I had to be faithful in small little things, in a very difficult assignment. I was tempted in all ways. I was killed on a cross for all of their sins. And I'm going to stand before you in my identity, which shows you that I am worthy. Because when I went down to the earth, I wasn't taking dominion. When I went down to the earth, I was proving my authority. I was proving that I can be trusted. I was proving that I am worthy to take dominion over the earth. That I am the one man, the last Adam who can do this. And if you doubt me, look at me. I'm the slain lamb. That's my proof. I'll read it again from Daniel 7. I saw in the night visions. This is Daniel seeing this. And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days. And he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. This scroll, do you know what's in this scroll? It's everything that will take the evil off the earth, it's all the judgments of God on the Antichrist and raging evil against God's people. Who can do something like that in love? Who can take that kind of power and authority? What human can administrate the destruction of the evil empires on the earth and not fall and have their own evil amplified and can do it in love in order to bring the most people to love? Who can do that? Who is worthy to take over the earth? Amen. Jesus. Yes, there is one. Can I have the band come up? Any one of us, if we were put in that position, can you imagine like when God came the first time, he had to rule over 12 and rule over a a small group as people tried to persecute him and then in the end killed him. When he comes back, he is going to be ruling over the greatest coup ever to have been, ever to be seen. He will become, this isn't a figurative spiritualism. He will become the king of kings, literally. Like, he will become the king of kings on the earth. The earth will be ruled by him. Revelation 1.5 says that Jesus is the firstborn, the ruler of kings. This is a huge theme in the Bible. The Lamb will step forth in his full authority. When we are living our lives here, we are doing real things. Real things. When Jesus was on the earth, he was doing real and meaningful things. But let me tell you, this is nothing. Compared to the authority that you may be walking in in the age to come. In the same way that Jesus was doing real things, but what he did on the earth in order to prepare and prove his authority for what he was going to be doing after is the same dynamic that happens with us. What you're doing here is not about what you're doing here. It is, don't take me too literally, but it's primarily about God seeing into your heart and saying, you can do it in little things, I want to see what your heart can do. Stand in front of me. Let me burn in front of you so that you can strengthen yourself to prove yourself on this earth, in this ministry that may seem so small and you may be aching inside and saying, Lord, I could do so much. And he's saying, not yet. Show me your love in the small ways. Amen. (laughs) Small ways. Show me your love in the small ways. oh, And then you will stand before me and I will give you real authority. Your heart aches to serve me and I will, I will have you serve me. Nobody can delegate like me. Nobody can delegate like me. But you have to live in the small ways so that God knows he can amplify your heart and you'll be okay in that. It happens the same way right now, even within your life. If you can show that you can live with humility, if you can show and grow your heart, what's in your heart can be amplified safely. Lord, thank you. Thank you for helping us to grow in these small ways, helping us to show you our hearts so that we don't hurt too many people. Thank you, Lord, for guiding us on how to grow our hearts by standing in front of you. And letting you just shape ourselves. Lord, thank you that you have done this in a human being who can rule over the earth. Father, you're so beautiful. We're going to be singing a song called Worthy of It All, which we sang last week. And as a good song coordinator, we were thinking we wouldn't sing it this week. It was funny, Johan was here last week, and when I messaged him, Marianne was not feeling well, so I messaged him desperately on Saturday and I was like, go on, help. And I said, what are you planning on singing? And I sent him some songs and he was thinking, oh, before you even sent me the songs I was thinking of singing Worthy of It All. And I was like, oh, that was our plan, perfect, sing Worthy of It All. It's on the theme. Worthy, worthy, worthy are, are you Lord. And so on the theme, and then I planned to sing another song. We planned another song for ministry time. And then the band came and they, we, planned, we had Worthy of All and then we changed it. Even though I changed it, like, in, I don't know, two or three different ways, everybody was ready to sing Worthy of It All. Even the slides had been changed by Alicia, even though, like, we just misunderstandings. All these, like, three misunderstandings led for me to walk in and they're singing Worthy of It All. Without even, like, any question, they're like, yeah, we're singing Worthy of It All. So we're going to sing Worthy of It All. Who is worthy to take the scroll? Who? He is worthy of it all. And they're going to be singing this in heaven for a long time. So stand with us. Let's sing how worthy he is. Jesus, you are so worthy. We can give you everything. You can take everything on the earth. And you will administrate it in love. Thank you that we can trust you.